us. The change comes and starts within us, and we are changed from the inside out. And so that was good. And I said last week that today um, I was going to begin talking about the kingdom of God and starting to lay out foundational truths of the kingdom. You've probably heard me mention the kingdom. You've probably heard me say that word a million times. Um, Last week I gave you a list of uh, subjects that I've taught, um, things that I've taught since we started uh, doing this thing back in October. And everything that I have preached has led up to what I'm going to say today. Everything I've talked about. I've talked about uh, bringing a new culture. I've talked about being separated. I've talked about a new standard of living. We've talked about uh, changing your mind and having a mind renewal process. We talked about the body of Christ. Everything that I have preached, everything that I have laid out to this point is, uh, was a foundational truth or something that is leading up to what I have to say today. Um, when I first heard this message about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago now, um, it lit something within me. And I pray this morning that what I have to say uh, has the same impact and the same fervor uh, within you that it had in me. And it completely changed my life. Everything I do, what I preach, everything I say, the reason why I'm here, uh, my thought processes, everything is centered around what I have to say this morning. First thing I want to say is what I have to say this morning is not a subject. This isn't I'm going into a new series or you're going to hear me talk about the kingdom for a few weeks and then after that it's gone. This is the foundation for everything that the Bible is about. If I preach on faith, if I preach on peace, if I preach on the Holy Spirit, prayer, joy, uh, purpose, anything I ever preach on will be within the kingdom. The first thing I had to figure out for myself, um, and it's kind of what I struggled with at the beginning, was... When I heard the kingdom message, I tried to put it in everything that I had been raised in and everything that I had heard. And I had been uh, raised, about some, raised around some good word. Um, I had been raised uh, spirit-filled, uh, word of faith my entire life. And that's good word. The prosperity message is a great word. The faith message, great. Uh, healing, awesome. Uh, it's the truth and it's everything that Jesus was preaching. But... Within that, I was still missing this one concept. And what the kingdom message did for me is it helped me see all those other areas clearer. It helped me understand faith. It helped me understand healing. It helped me understand my purpose. It helped me understand the earth and it helped me understand heaven. It helped me understand who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, who God is. I mean, it changed all of it. And the first thing I had to do, and it took me a few months to find this out, um, but I had to change my filter. That's what I had to change. I was trying to take the kingdom message and put it in what I knew about faith and healing and prosperity and all that stuff. And I found that I needed to take faith and healing and all the other messages and everything I knew out of the word and put it into the kingdom. And it became, so now I see faith in a kingdom lens and I see healing in a kingdom lens and I see all these different entities and everything I've known through the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom is what God originally came to establish. Um, There's a few points I want to make before we get into Matthew 13. I was going through uh, because 
I really feel you can't lay enough foundation for the kingdom. And I've taught a lot and I've said a lot. But there are a few key more things that I want you to understand. The first thing is that this is not a new message. This is actually the first message. This is actually the original message. But how many of you know that in our day and age, and over time this has increased more and more, that people take things to adapt to their lifestyle rather than adapting their lifestyle to things? Um, When it comes to food, we want it quicker, we want it faster, uh, and so we now have fast food places instead of just having places to go and sit down and eat at. Uh, Instead of cooking a meal, you can get it in a microwavable version and make it white. It's to adapt to my lifestyle. My lifestyle has gotten so fast-paced and so quick that I need my food faster. I need something that I can eat quicker. Okay? Uh, We see this uh, with our jobs. We see this uh, in our families, that everything in our lives seems to center around where am I at and how can I make that applicable to me? We've done this with the Word, and the Word of God was never meant to be that way. The Word of God was meant that your life would conform to the Word, not take the Word and conform it to you. Okay? And in that, in that whole process comes a reduction in the message. The message has been reduced to how can I fit it to my lifestyle and to where I'm at and what's comfortable for me. You notice everywhere you go, it's about making you comfortable. Uh, Your highways, uh, the mall, uh, going to the stores, they're trying to do things to accommodate people and make them more comfortable. And everything's about meeting you where are you at and getting you to... Churches have gone this way. They really have, and we know this. Churches have gone to let's make people more comfortable And so let's shorten our messages. Let's not talk about things that will get edgy and step on people's toes. Uh, You know, let's uh, do less events and less meetings and, and, you know, try to lessen everything down and reduce it. But the Word of God was always meant to see where you're at and then change you to become what the Word is. And so I believe in that process the kingdom message has been lost because the kingdom message uh, puts full responsibility full responsibility on the hearer. Um, I'm going to tell you right now that after today, your life is going to become assignment driven. And what I mean by that is every part of your life, everything you are, everything you do, you're going to find it to be an assignment. You're going to find it to be a task. You're you are a, you have been assigned as a husband. You have been assigned as a wife. You have been assigned to your children. You have been assigned to this church. You've been assigned to your job you'll see that these are tasks and assignments that God has given you to fulfill your purpose for the kingdom. Not to get a job to make money, not to uh, have kids because you have a desire to raise a family, uh, not become married because you fell in love with somebody, but you'll see it as an assignment. And so in the assignment is an investment, and in the investment comes a reward. And so we're going to see these things. The second thing that I want to show you real quick before we get in, is that with the kingdom message comes much opposition. I'm going to tell you right now, much opposition and even persecution. Jesus was not killed and opposed and had so many hindrances in his ministry because of who he was. It was because of what he was saying. They loved who he was and they loved what he did. 
They followed him everywhere he went because they loved to see miracles. They loved to see signs. They wanted to be healed. Uh, they, they wanted their lives to be changed. They wanted demons cast out. They wanted these things in their lives. But when it came down to it, they killed him because of the message he brought. He said, you've seen me do all these things, but let me tell you why I'm doing all these things. And he called himself a king. He came talking about a new government and a new way of living. And that dabbled with too many people's lives and caused them to change too much. In fact, the first word he preached was repent for the kingdom of God. That word repent, we know we've said, we've said it a million times up to this point. The word repent simply means to change something, to turn away from something and go a different direction. Well, what does that do? That puts responsibility on the person to now change. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders, these people had a hard time with that because they were stuck in tradition. They were stuck in religion. They were stuck in a way of doing things, a systematic way of their lives being performed day in and day out. And now someone's coming in and telling me I have to rearrange all that and do it for a different reason. So it wasn't about who he was or what he did. They loved that part. In fact, they loved that part so much that Jesus told people, he said, you are an evil generation, a wicked generation, because all you want is a sign, all you want is a wonder, all you want is demons cast out and to be healed and see the lame walk and dead people rising again, but you don't care about what I'm saying. You're not concerned with the message I'm bringing. And so the one of the main things that Jesus saw, and we see it with the disciples, we see it with the apostles, they all came into opposition and even persecution. Many were killed because of what they were saying, not just what they were doing. And when the priests and the elders and, they, and all these Pharisees again saw Peter and John doing the same things Jesus did, they weren't concerned about the signs and the miracles. They knew that behind that was coming the message that Jesus brought. Behind that was coming the government system that Jesus brought. The third thing I want to point out real quick is that this, this message uh, in, in America, I'm talking America, I'm talking to Americans, I'm talking to people that live in the United States of America. I'm going to tell you right now, I love the United States of America. I wouldn't want to be in any other country, any other nation on this planet. But one of the major hindrances that I have seen in discussing this message preaching to people about it is that we are in a government system that looks nothing like what I'm about to tell you about. What I'm about to preach is a government. And we have heard so many things that have separated church and government. We've heard so many things that say the government is against the church and, and, and all these different things. We're talking about freedom and having your opinion and having your rights and your privileges. And I'm going to tell you right now, the government of God is going to come against all of that. I'm not speaking against democracy. I think, I honestly believe uh, a democratic republic is the best system on the face of the planet for our day and age. But when it comes down to it, there is no government like the kingdom of God. Now the problem with the kingdom that people have is one person has a say and you have to follow along with that. and You obey that and if you disregard that or disobey that, then you're out. What I love about it is the clarity. I believe there's more freedom in letting someone else make the choice. Here is why people have a problem with that. We live in a world where men become kings and men become rulers, and they don't always have the heart of God. Now, kingdom is the easiest thing to live in. A kingdom-type government 
a monarchy is the easiest government to live in when you know that the king has your best interest at heart, loves you, cares for you, and everything he incorporates and everything he puts into play and into practice is because he cares for you. When I was a kid, if I got near the edge of a street, my mom told me, don't go play in the street. Don't go in the street. Was she trying to keep me from a whole new world of fun in the street that she couldn't have, and but I, but I had an ability to go, but since she couldn't play in the street, I couldn't play? No. What's she doing? She's looking out for my well-being. You don't want to get hit by a vehicle flying by and smashing you open. Very simple. And this is the way God is with his kingdom. There are rules. There are systems. There are things in place. But you have to understand that God is the only one who can be a proper king. That's why he didn't want man to have a king in the first place. Because he knew man in the earth is susceptible to sin and susceptible to seeking their own interests and susceptible to doing things their way. And if they do things their way, they're going to end up leading a people away from me. And that's going to bring curses and that's going to bring uh, you know, hindrances. That's going to bring persecution. I mean, the nation of Israel went up against a lot of junk because the leader was full of junk. And you look at it. If they had a godly king, the nation of Israel was doing great. If they had a bad king, they were doing terrible. They ended up going into slavery. They ended up having their enemies winning. The Assyrians and the Philistines and the Amalekites, all these people came from other nations to attack the nation of Israel because the king was out of alignment. So those three things I want to point out because they are, those are three hindrances right there. Because you're automatically going to think, wow, this is a new message. This is something new. I've never heard this before. That doesn't make it new. You've just been hearing something else that has been covering up the old message. This is actually the oldest message in the book. But that's what I love about it is we're getting back to the beginning of something. You've heard me say that before. If you want to understand how something was originally made to work and, and, and processed, go to the beginning. So we're going to go to the beginning. Matthew chapter 13, real quick. This is Jesus. We know this as the parable of the sower. And in verse 19, he tells this parable, and then he turns to his disciples, and he says to them, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Because they're, they're asking him, how come you tell the multitude the parable, but then you only explain it to us? And he says, because of the sacrifice, because of the price you've paid, because of the cost you've endured, to you has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And so in verse 19, he goes to explain the parable to his disciples. And he says, when anyone hears the word of the what? The kingdom. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received by the wayside. Notice here that Jesus is very specific. And he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, look what happens. The wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. I'm going to tell you this morning, right now, just because you're here, just because you're hearing what I'm saying, and just because it's sown in your heart, doesn't mean you'll receive everything I have to say this morning. This is the message 
I don't know what you went through to get here this morning. I don't know what kind of hindrances or oppositions or what was going on this weekend that was saying, you know what, you can skip tomorrow. It's not a big deal. You don't have to go in this morning. You're tired. Take a day off. You, you go to church all the time. Go next week. But there's a specific reason why you're here today. There's people that aren't here today, and I, you know, I don't know what's going on in people's lives, but because of this verse, it makes me wonder, what's the enemy saying to people because he knows what I'm preaching tomorrow? He knows what I'm getting ready to say. It says there that when the, that when the word of the kingdom is sown. I'm going to tell you right now, there are a lot of pastors and a lot of preachers that are preaching right now this morning that are saying stuff that the enemy has no worry about what's going out and he doesn't care that the people hear it because it's not going to give them life. It's not going to give them what the enemy is really after. When the enemy attacked Eve in the garden, he was after something and he's still after the same thing today. It's the word of the kingdom. It's the message of the kingdom. Why are we hearing this now and it's 2,000 years later since Jesus and the disciples were preaching it? And I believe that it got lost down, one, because of governments and because we got away from government systems that look like God's government system. And and how many of you know it's an unseen realm? So you're always having to go back and get the picture of the unseen because if you try to go through the Bible and pull out truths based upon what you see in your world, you're going to miss it. And I believe we missed it. I think the other thing was persecution. I believe the reason why this message got lost was because persecution, the price to preach the gospel. And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, we've been preaching this for two years, two and a half years now. And we've seen persecution and hindrances like I've never seen in my life. Things happening in churches that is just stupid. People rising up and, and doing stupid stuff. And you're thinking, what in the world? Why is this happening? It's the message of the kingdom. Jesus eventually got, ended up going to the cross alone. His own 12 disciples left him. All because of the message of the kingdom. It's what the enemy is after. So the persecution. And then I believe uh, that the other reason is the, the comfortability in the world. And that people got away from preaching this message because they knew that it was putting a lot of weight on their people. I understand the weight that you're about to receive by hearing this message. I understand that. And I understand the responsibility. And that's why I didn't preach it the first day I got in here. That's why there's a foundation being laid. That's why John the Baptist went before Jesus. He went preaching the same thing. He said, repent, for the kingdom is near. What's he doing? He's preparing people's hearts and minds for what Jesus is about to bring. Because Jesus is the king and was the king. He was the king showing up, bringing the kingdom with him. John the Baptist baptized people. He called people to repentance. He called people and was preaching the kingdom. And he even talked to the Pharisees and called them a brood of vipers and hypocrites and did the whole thing. But what was he doing? He was preparing the way. Jesus called him the greatest prophet. You know that Elisha and Elijah and Samuel, you know that they were great prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know Elisha and Elijah raised people from the dead. You know that they crossed on dry ground across rivers. I mean, they did great miracles. John the Baptist didn't do any of that. He's just baptizing people in water and telling people to repent. Why was he the greatest? He was the greatest because he was ushering in the kingdom. He was ushering in the king. He was preparing the way for the king. Okay? 
One more quick verse, Matthew chapter 24, before we fully get into this. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. This is why the enemy is so opposed to it. This is why the wicked one comes to steal the word of the kingdom. Verse 14. And the gospel of the what? Kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And look what it says. Then the end will come. The enemy knows that this gospel of the kingdom, a very specific gospel, is what is going to bring his end. So you know he's fighting it tooth and nail to do whatever he can to hide the message, to hide the gospel of the kingdom. You'll notice, you'll see, Jesus never preached the gospel of Jesus. Jesus never preached the gospel of Jesus. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. Today, we preach the gospel of Jesus. So when we receive Jesus into our heart, we're satisfied. Because that's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news, I'm going to tell you right now, is not that Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross for your sins so you could go to heaven. That is not the good news. That is, that's how the enemy has hidden the message of the kingdom. That's how the enemy has tucked it away to where people couldn't see it. It's called deception. It's called being deceived. He doesn't just come, to, he doesn't come in churches and say the kingdom of God is not true. He hides it in another truth. Because if he can get you to believe something else and be satisfied with something else, then you'll never be hungry and want more. I've heard people in, in other denominations, in denominational churches, that knew that there was something more, that knew it. I mean, Pastor Earl, he's told you himself that, you know, he was raised in a in Baptist denomination, but always knew there was something more. Always knew that. And then he received the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you right now, we have not negated any truths by preaching the kingdom of God. I still believe that you must be born again. I still believe that you must receive the infilling and the Holy Spirit upon your life to do the work of the kingdom. I haven't thrown those out. I haven't changed theologies. I haven't gone against anything I've ever believed in my entire life. I still believe faith. I still believe peace. I still believe in healing. I still believe. But now it's in a different lens. This morning I've titled our message, The Big Picture. What is a picture? One thing you have to know about God is when he created the earth, when he put it all together, the Bible says that he knew the beginning from the end. Now, we, I've always taken it to think, here's the beginning and here's the end, and he knows the difference between the beginning and the end. That's not what that verse is saying. That verse is saying that he started at the end and knew how he would start this thing. For God, this whole thing is done. It is one complete picture. Our lives are a complete picture. I've said before that God is not walking your life out with you every day. He already knows what's going to come tomorrow. He already knows what you're going to do next year. He already knows what opposition may come. He already knows what exciting things may happen. He's not walking this thing out. And, and when you're surprised, he's surprised. But when something happens to you, it's like, oh, wow, well, what are we going to do? He already has the answer. Your future is in God's past. It's already happened to him. So before you got into the problem, he's already got a way for you to get out of the problem. And as soon as you obtain something, guess what he's doing? He's trying to get your faith to obtain the next thing. 
Because faith isn't faith unless it's not seen. I don't have faith that you're here because I see you here. I had faith that you would be here about an hour ago. Why? Because you weren't in the scene realm yet. But I believed, yeah, these people will be here. And then you showed up, and now I don't have to have faith any longer. So as soon as you obtain something, God has already moved on because now you have obtained something that he already predestined and preordained for you to have and to live in. Okay? So this thing is what we call a picture. God created the world. God knew everything would happen. And this is one big picture for God. He's not adding to it. He's not taking anything away from it. It's just a big picture. Now, here's the thing about a picture. You need something to see it clearly. I wear glasses. I'm wearing contacts right now. But if I don't have my glasses and contacts in, I can see stuff. I can see, I can tell that there are people here. I can tell that there's a front door and I can walk outside and I can go to my truck and do those things. But what do I need? I need a clearer lens to see the picture with. And this morning, I'm going to give you a lens so you can see the picture. The big picture. The, what, that means we're coming out. We're coming out of being tied to all the little things that we've heard. And not, they're not little. Well, what I'm saying is, is I'm going to show you the foundation that all of that is in. I'm going to show you why faith is important. I'm going to show you why healing is important. I'm going to show you why you need to have purpose in the earth. I'm going to show you what heaven is, and I'm going to show you what earth is. I'm going to show you why there's an enemy. I'm going to show you why there's a God. That's what I want to do. But I want to give you the proper lens so we can see it correctly. Amen? Are you ready to see it correctly this morning? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, all the way at the beginning. Up until about two and a half years ago, I didn't really work out the Old Testament of my Bible as much as I am now. But man, I'm ripping it up because I love, I love history anyways. But now where you can see where God was just trying to get his plan going all the time. And the Bible says that Jesus came at the fullness of time, which means God had it planned out. He wasn't, he wasn't late. He wasn't early. He wasn't, you know, let's do it now. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he was waiting for the fullness of time. And so it's exciting to see all that happen. But in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That word heavens is not heaven itself. Heaven has always existed because God has always existed. And heaven is where God lives. So heaven has always been there. This word heavens means the sky and the earth. It means the atmosphere. It means where the clouds are. It means where rain comes from. It means where the universe is, where all the planets are. That's the heavens and the earth. Okay? So don't think that this is the beginning of God because there is no beginning to God. Don't bother trying to figure it out because you won't. It boggles everybody's mind. Heaven has always existed. God has always existed. So right here he's saying... I am in heaven, and I want to create something else. So he created a heavens, and he created an earth. And we know what happened over the next several days. He put things on the earth. He put trees. He put water. He put the sun. He put the moon. He put 
animals. And then down in verse 26, down in verse 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, image and likeness, this is not speaking of physical. He's not saying let's make man look just like us. He's talking about character and nature. He's talking about character and nature. He said, the way that we think, I want them to think. The way that we do things, I want them to do it. The way that uh, I make things happen, I want to do that. You are made in God's nature. You are made in his likeness, his character. That's what this says in verse 26. And we go on. It says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So right here, here's what God has done. He's up in heaven, always been, always existed, no beginning, no end. And he says, I want to create heaven, and I want to, heavens, skies, and I want to create earth, land, water, dirt, animals, plants. Then, at the very end, he creates man. And he says, I am not going to directly rule over this area. I'm ruling in heaven. Heaven is my territory. Heaven is where I have a say. But I'm placing someone else on the earth to do what I would do. That's why he put his image. That's why he put his likeness. That's why he put his nature. The way that I would do things, I'm putting that inside man. So that way man can rule and do things the way that I would do them if I were there myself. Okay? I will submit this to you. If God had created, if God had done verse 26 in verse 2, man would have done the rest of creation. And what I mean by that is man now had the authority on the earth. So man would have put the animals there and put the trees there and put the water where it's supposed to go and put the sky, or the sky where it is and the moon and the stars and the sun. Why? Because that is how much authority God gave to man. Had he backed that up, to any sooner in creation, man would have been speaking it out. Verse 27. So God created man. I love that they repeat it here. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it or have authority over it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Why is this in here twice? Because we saw the one conversation between him, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. Let us make man, and this is what we're going to do. Now he's talking to man. Now he's actually talking to man and saying, this is why I've put you on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over it. Have dominion. 
over every living thing, over all the earth. This is what he placed man in charge of, as his agent in the earth. Now, real quick, God is a king. This is where kingdom comes in. God is a king. We know this. We know over in Peter it says, to our God eternal and visible, the eternal king. God is a king. We know that Jesus came as 100% God in the flesh, and he came declaring himself to be a king, bringing a kingdom. A kingdom is a king's domain or a king's territory. A domain is just simply the territory in which he rules over. We don't have a kingdom in the United States. We have a president, and he rules over the domain or the territory of the United States and everything that the United States owns. But a king is a ruler. You cannot be a king without a kingdom. If you don't have a kingdom, then you're not a king. Okay? So, in essence, uh, if you are the the husband, you are the king of your house. That is your territory. Uh, the The Bible talks about our bodies as land or as territory. And we rule over this territory. Okay? Uh, If you own a business, that's your territory. That's your kingdom. That's where you have rulership or authority. That's where you exercise dominion. Okay? So you have to first understand that God is a king and that his kingdom is in heaven. That's where he is. But now he's extended his kingdom. He's branched it off. And this is a term that we're not real familiar with, but it's called colonization. It's called colonization. And that is when a kingdom or a king desires to extend his territory beyond the territory he's currently in. And when a colony is set up, a king, back in those days when kingdoms were still popular, they would extend their rulership to that territory and place somebody over it and place somebody. So as long as that person was in that territory, they had authority there. Now guess what? If that king of the colony that was just extended and expanded to went back to the home country, guess who's in authority? The king over that territory. So that king has just lost his authority. If you go back to heaven, the home country... Do you have any authority there? No. God does. He's the ruler. Your authority, man's authority, by Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, was in the earth. To fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply, subdue it, have authority over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle, every living thing, everything that's creeping, all the creeps on the earth. You have authority. You have rulership. That's what he gave to Adam and Eve, okay? So let's go on because there's more. Uh, Genesis, uh, well, verse 28, we started to see a little bit there in Genesis 1, 28, that there was an assignment given. Now, there's a task at hand. You know, we think of the Garden of Eden as this, this big paradise where, you know, you don't have to do anything and it's just freedom and liberty and nothing to do. We don't have to work jobs, but... Take a look at what verse 28 says again. Verse 28. I'll read it. Verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So now he's starting to hand out assignments. There's a task involved. 
Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Notice here, Adam had no choice where he's going. Adam had no choice. God placed him in the garden. To do what? To tend it and keep it. To tend it and keep it. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We know that that word die, that death there is talking about separation. Separation from what? We've always just talked about it as separation from God, but this is talking about separation from God's kingdom. So now, you've got to understand this. And I could go through these verses and show you. Adam and Eve were in the garden occupied with one thing. One thing. The king's will. The king expanded his territory and his kingdom to this earth. So this is God's kingdom. And he has placed us on this earth to manage it, to rule over it. That word uh, dominion actually means to manage, to control, to take care of, to manage the earth, control it. God is the owner of the earth. Psalm, 20, Psalm 24, real quick. Psalm 24. The earth belongs to God. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. So you belong to God. Everything that God put here belongs to God, and the whole earth belongs to God. He is the owner by creation. He created it, so he owns it. But look at this in Psalm chapter 115. Psalm chapter 115. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. So who does it belong to? The Lord, God. But the earth he has given to the children of men. So we see here that he has expected now for someone else to rule over this territory that he has expanded to. He created the earth. He owns it. But now someone else is in control. You've heard me say it before. I own my vehicle. But if I lend my vehicle to Chuck, he's now in control of it. He now controls where it goes. He controls how fast it goes. He controls when it gets gas put in it. He controls who comes in the vehicle with him. Now he's in control over it. I still own it. It's still mine. The earth is the Lord's. But now someone else is in control. Now here's the thing. The reason why these assignments are handed out and the reason why the tree of knowledge of good and evil is now placed, the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents this, self-rule, self-rulership. Now, we know over in Isaiah it talks about Satan, that he was once an angel of light in heaven, in God's kingdom. And he came up against God, wanting to be higher than God, wanting to be greater than God, and he got what? Cast down to the earth. What was he trying to do? Trying to be independent. The most dangerous word in a kingdom is independence. That is the most dangerous word. So Adam and Eve 
now have authority and control and can manage the earth under one agreement. You obey what I tell you to do. And the only temptation in the earth at the time was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And to us, we don't think of this as a big deal. It's just a tree with fruit on it. And there's tons of trees. But there's something different about this tree. Because with the tree came something. It came the ability to make your own decisions. It came the ability to do what you wanted to do. It came with the ability to call the shots and and no longer have to be dependent upon someone else. So this is where, you notice here, God doesn't tell Satan, or God doesn't tell Adam, this is why I'm placing the tree here. He doesn't tell Adam, uh, there is a snake down there somewhere, and he's cunning, and he's against me, and I cast him out from, he doesn't tell him anything. Why? He told Adam, if you obey me, that's all you need to know. If you submit your will to me, That's all you need to know, and you're completely taken care of. I mean, you read here in Genesis chapter 2, they had rivers running through there that they could drink from. They had trees, and uh, everything, uh, every herb of the field uh, that was yielded was given to them for food. I mean, they're not worrying about nothing. They don't even have to wear clothes, so they're not having to worry about that. They're not having to worry about where they live because God put them there. I mean, every concern that we have today, they had none of that. Everything we concern ourselves with, everything that uh, we deal with and think about and that controls and consumes our life, that none of that was their concern. None of that bothered them. All they were concerned with was God's priorities, God's values. What were, what, why was I placed here to control and manage the earth the way God would? So look what happens in Genesis chapter 3. We're just walking this thing out step by step. The serpent knows that the only thing I can tempt them with is the only way I can touch Adam and Eve is if they come out of submission to God. It's the only way. The enemy knows this. If they disobey God, then I have an inroad. Now I have a way to do something. Now I have a way to have an effect on their lives. Now I have a way to do something with them, whatever I want to do. If I can get them independent of God and no longer dependent on Him, I can have my way. And what was He trying to do? He looked at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are now created in the image of God, in His likeness, in His character. And He's saying, they look just like God. So if I can get him to bow to me and to submit to me then I've basically gotten God to bow to me and submit to me something in his nature he was fine with that he was fine and satisfied and settled with if they bow to me that's someone that's created just like God with the same potential and the same power and if I can get them to serve me that's all the enemies ever wanted that's all that Satan's ever wanted from the beginning so now Genesis chapter 3, we have a conversation. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree 
of the garden. So the first thing he does is he takes God's words and twists them. Brings doubt to God's words. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So what does he do? He just takes what God said and then adds one more three-letter word in there. You shall not die. What's he doing? He's given Eve an alternative to what God already put in stone. Now, all he's trying to do is just to get Eve to disobey God. He knows that's all she has to do. Disobedience to what God says to do is sin. Period. I don't care what kind of sin it is. I don't care if you murder someone or cheat on a test, lie to your parents, or commit adultery. It is sin. You have disobeyed what God said to do. Period. And sin is all that was needed for the enemy to do his work. If you quit sinning, you put the enemy out of a job. If people in the world quit disobeying God, the enemy has no place. Disobedience, submission to God, is the beginning to everything else that opens up in our lives. For a lot of people, the reason why things are happening in their lives, they don't have a financial problem, they have a submission problem. For a lot of people, they don't have a a health problem, they have a submission and obedience problem. Now, yes, the enemy does attack, but he can't get you if you're in alignment with the king. The first thing, the first thing, when people start to see an attack on their life, they need to look inside, not out. A lot of people say, the enemy is attacking me. Who's doing it? Who's trying to bring this against me? We need to look inside and say, okay, Lord, what part of my life is out of alignment? What part of my life is in unrighteousness? What part of my life do I need to get in alignment so I can see this thing change? And for a lot of people, that is where the answer lies. And we don't want to look there. We don't want to look inside. We don't want to take the responsibility. We want to say, well, it's because of this, or it's because of that, or it's because of what happened in my past, or it's because how this person treated me, or it's because of this one thing, or, you know, the enemy is just attacking me. I'm telling you right now, the enemy has no place in your life as long as you get your life in full submission to the king. Adam and Eve's ability to operate in any kind of authority in the earth was fully determined by their ability to remain in submission to the king's word. And as soon as they got out of submission and out of alignment, that's when the enemy had a position and that's when they lost their authority. So let's keep going here because we're going to see something that happens. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You notice there, God didn't tell them that. They didn't need to know that. But the enemy let them know. Here's what's going to happen if you do this. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Who created the tree? Who created the fruit on the tree? That it was pleasant to the eyes 
and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Let me tell you what Eve did here. Eve, the tree was given by God, was planted by God, was created by God. The fruit, he has already told them, this is for you to eat. Fruit in and of itself. This specific tree is off limits. But what did she do? She got her eyes off of the creator and onto the creation. She got her eyes off of the creator and lost what that purpose was for the creation. And now it became, what do I want to do with it? The most popular one that we see in today's terms is money. We say money doesn't grow on a tree, but if that was a money tree, we would have all done the same thing. We may not have, we maybe try to tell ourselves we wouldn't have eaten the fruit. Uh, for me, I don't eat fruit. You can, I've never eaten fruit. You can ask anyone in my family. So I always tell people, God should have put me in the garden. We'd all still be here. I wouldn't have touched it. <laughs> now, if there was a cow that was off limits, I would have probably had a hard time because I love steak. That's my main meal. But the fruit deal, that's not a big deal to me. I, I look at that I'm saying, what in the world? But we do the same thing in our own lives. We get our eyes off of the Creator and what, does, what is the purpose of this in our lives. And we get our eyes on the creation. And she saw that it was desirable to make one wise. A fruit. It wasn't about the fruit. It was what came with the fruit. And the enemy knew that. And the enemy used that to tempt her to get into self-rule. It's funny that it says it would have made her wise, but how many of you think she got wiser? I mean, what we think is wisdom. Wise does not mean know everything. Because there are some people that desire to know everything, and they don't get any wiser. The Bible says that wisdom is a jewel. Wisdom comes from God. And Solomon knew where to get wisdom, and he was still a messed up guy. 700 wives and 300 concubines and ended up following a bunch of idols? I mean, what, is, what did the wisdom do? God was looking for obedience. God was looking for submission. And so it wasn't the fruit that was bad. It was what came with the fruit. And so a lot of times, a lot of times in our own lives, we get our eyes off of what the Creator has given to us for a certain purpose. God has given us money. God has given us things. God has given us homes and, and, and relationships and businesses and whatever for His glory and for His purpose. And are we using those things for His purpose? And is it a resource to us to sustain our lives so we can continue our purpose and stay in our assignment? Or are we getting our eyes onto the things and now going after that because it's desirable, it looks good, it tastes good, it feels good to have it? And that's what happened with Eve. She got her eyes off of the Creator and onto the creation. And so we know that here, this is where man fell. Man did not fall from heaven. Man did not fall from heaven. Man fell from dominion and authority in the earth. That's what man lost. Adam and Eve did not lose access to heaven, going to heaven. They lost ruling over the earth the way God wanted the earth to be ruled over. They lost the authority. 
And not only did they lose it, they handed it over. The Bible specifically says that Satan now is the God of this world. What does that mean? That means he's calling the shots. That means he's dictating people's lives. That means things in the world that we see today are because of his product and what he's brought into the world. We know today that this world looks nothing like what it did when Adam and Eve were here. Immediately, the earth began a momentum and a shift to decay and to death. Why? Because it now became separated from heaven. And instead of man ruling over it and taking care of it and tending and keeping it, I mean, one of the biggest things people uh, try to search for today, you know, go green. What are they trying to do? Take care of the earth. Man doesn't even know, but they're still trying to accomplish God's original assignment. Take care of the earth. That's why man was placed here, to rule over this and make it look like heaven. Heaven's influence is supposed to be in the earth. Everyone says, man, I wish we had heaven on earth. You can have heaven on earth. That's what Adam and Eve had, heaven on earth. They had the unseen realm in the seen realm. We saw, we saw it in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, when I talked about the real reality. And we said that everything you see is an image of the invisible God. Every tree, every uh, blade of grass, every ocean, every lake, everything you see, every animal is an image and shows you the unseen realm. So there's an unseen realm and a seen realm, and God wanted to rule the seen realm from the unseen realm using an unseen spirit man inside of a seen man on the earth. I'll say that one more time. I have to say it slow so I don't confuse myself. But God wanted to rule from an unseen realm, heaven. He wanted to rule a seen realm, the earth. So he placed an unseen spirit, who we really are, inside of a seen body, our flesh, that we can see, and put that on the earth. I mean, if you've been with us on Wednesdays, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and that's been a great series. And that ties everything together. Because Adam and Eve were doing nothing on the earth without the breath of God within them. The first thing God did when he created man, made him out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed life into him. What was he doing? If they're going to do my assignment, and if they're going to rule like I would rule, they need my spirit within them. And the Holy Spirit is what enabled Adam and Eve to accomplish their task and their purpose in the earth. They had an assignment. Don't, you will never look at Adam and Eve as just laying around naked in a grassy field somewhere. It won't happen. They had an assignment. They were working. They were tending. They were keeping. One of the first things Adam had to do was name all the animals. That's a lot of animals to name. That's the first thing he handed over to them. What's this one? That's a horse. What's this one? That's a cow. What's this one? That's an alligator. What's this one? That's an elephant. He had to bring every animal to him, and he named him. Why? Why didn't God name him? Because in verse 26, he gave all that dominion to man. So this is what God did. As a king, when a king says something, it becomes a law. And when a king says something in a true kingdom, not even the king can overturn that law. So, God placed man in charge on the earth. So, who now has access in the earth? Man which means a spirit can do nothing in this earth without a man. 
That's why the Holy Spirit had to come inside of a flesh being. That's why a demon has to possess a body to do something. That's why it's called demon possession. What are they doing? They're trying to take over a body. Here's a little fact. For the Holy Spirit to do something in your life, though, you have to yield to Him. A lot of people expect the Holy Spirit to do something that a demon would do. The Holy Spirit is not going to take over your flesh and possess you and make you do stuff uncontrollably. That's called demon possession. The Holy Spirit requires you to yield. Uh, In Thessalonians, Paul said, do not quench the Holy Spirit. He's saying, when the Holy Spirit is trying to move through you, don't shut it off. Let him do his work. Which means you can shut it off. Which means you can quit and not yield and not allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Okay? So God gave man legal access in the earth, which means that if a spirit is trying to do anything in the earth without a man, he's operating illegally. Remember, this is country. This is government. You have heaven, the home country, and now you have earth, an extended colony of heaven. And so for man to fulfill his purpose, fulfill his assignment, to do his task, had to receive the Holy Spirit. But Adam, or but well, Adam and Eve turned over all their authority. And then we see in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah that God actually says, I can no longer abide with man. He said, so much sin has come in, I cannot, I had to, he had to remove his spirit. And that's why you have to receive the Holy Spirit back into your life. He had to pull his spirit out of man. Well, if God's spirit isn't in man, then God's not doing anything in the earth. Why did the Red Sea part? Because Moses lifted up his hands. Why did... Uh, Why did the walls of Jericho come down? Because people shouted and obeyed what God said to do. Why did uh, Naaman get healed of leprosy? Because he obeyed and went into the Jordan River and dunked seven times. He's always required a man to be in obedience and submission to him to accomplish his will in the earth. God is, you know, we, we hear it, God is in control. I mean, we call uh, natural disasters an act of God. We call hurricanes and tornadoes and typhoons and earthquakes. That's an act of God. That's not an act of God. That's called decay. And that's called the earth slipping away from what God originally intended it to do and the purpose he had originally intended it for it to have. So God is looking for a man, but man has now given up their authority. Someone else has the authority, and now we see the earth we see today. Okay, Now we see what the enemy is producing in the earth. We see death. We see trees uh, losing leaves and things changing colors. And we see, I mean, as soon as you come into this world, your momentum is to sin. As soon as you're born, even in growth, you're really, the clock is ticking for decay. We've asked this question before. If Adam had never eaten the fruit, if Adam and Eve had never touched the fruit and never eaten it, where would they be? today here on the earth so this shifts our mindset of heaven this shifts our thought process of going to heaven i've said it before if i if my bible falls off of this podium and lands on the floor if i want to restore my bible have i restored my bible no 
Restoration, just the definition of restore, means to place back in an original location. So if God is going to restore man when he fell, he's going to take him and he's going to put him back where he had him, in the earth. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, to restore man's authority in the earth, not give you access back to heaven. Will we go to heaven? Yes. The word is very clear. The rapture will take place. We'll be caught up with him to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know this. But while you're on the earth, your purpose is in the earth. And so many people are preaching the gospel of Jesus. So they're receiving Jesus and then living out their life on earth waiting for heaven. And anything that happens to them is just because I'm still on the earth and I can't do anything about it. But when God restored you, he restored rulership. When he restored you, he put you in a position of righteousness so you could be in authority again. See, Adam and Eve became unrighteous. Righteousness means to be in alignment with the king's word. They got out of alignment. And you can't rule in the earth if you're not in alignment. So Jesus came to make you right with God. Why? So you could rule, not so you could go to heaven. That was not man's... Adam and Eve weren't walking around saying, man, I can't wait to go to heaven. Can't wait till we get out of here and we're able to go to... Why? They had heaven on earth. They were in heaven. And they were just concerned. Their only priority was taking care of the earth. Last verse, real quick. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. And this is where I'm going to close. I'm not going to shove it all down your throats today. I'm going to... Let you chew on it. A lot of pastors, they want to preach so much, they end up choking their people. And then you end up spitting it back up and you get nothing. But I want you to be able to retain. You know, sometimes I worry, do I have too many verses? Because I'll load it up with verses. I don't have a problem. I give him some verses and it's all down. And I, I can preach some verses, but I want you to be able to retain stuff. A part of the reason why we have these up here is so you can see it. People learn different ways. If you know anything about children's ministry, people learn, they learn by doing it. They learn by hearing it. They learn by seeing it. People learn different ways. So if I can create a nice, catchy little slide that says the big picture, you'll walk away from here, and all week long you'll remember Pastor Mark preached on the big picture. And even if that's all you remember, that'll help you tie to... That's all it is. I'm not trying to get all graphic and art, artistic on you and you know, look like everybody else in the world, it just helps you retain what we're talking about. Seeing the verses for yourselves, and that's why we have this up here. So you can see it. You can bring your Bibles, but you can see the verses up here. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense... Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Because of what Adam did in the garden, 
it set forth a chain a chain reaction, a momentum towards sin. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of what Adam and Eve did, the sin they committed, it caused generation after generation after generation to be out of alignment. And no man is born in this earth. Jesus was the only one. But no man in this earth is born into the nature that God originally intended for man to be in. But they did not just lose. They didn't lose a religion. Notice that in Genesis we saw nothing about Christianity. We saw nothing about a belief system. We saw nothing about they're going to church and being good people and praying. It was about a lifestyle. Not just what I believe or where I say I go to church or who I say I follow. You don't see any of that anywhere. They didn't lose a religion. They lost authority. They lost a government in the earth. I'm talking about a government system. This is what man lost. I'm going to tell you right now, this message will set you free. It absolutely set me free. Absolutely. Everything I do, everywhere I go is kingdom-minded and kingdom-oriented. I, I say it so much that there's people around me that get tired of hearing me say it. But guess what? Jesus said it so much that there were people around him that got tired of hearing him say it. So I'm going to keep saying it, and I'm going to keep preaching it. And I want us to have the same foundation, the same truths, the same understanding of the kingdom of God. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you this morning that we can understand